Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep Dregs by Joseph Upper. This is first published in Weird Tales, October 1928. I say first published. Uh, what I mean is only ever published in <laughs> Weird Tales, October 1928. Uh, this is the only uh, item on ISFDB with um, a listing for Joseph Upper, uh, a.k.a. Joseph Upper Harris, born in Watertown, New York, in January 1891, died in 1954. Um why does this deserve our attention, given that this guy's uh, essentially a nobody? Um, well, I don't, I don't go by the names. I go by the shortness when I'm looking through Weird Tales. And I love a good sonnet. And I saw this. Oh, this looks like a sonnet. And I said, I don't know what it means, but I'll, I'll print it out. I read it. I read it with my students. And I found it to be very, very, very deep. And I thought, hmm, I should send this to my friend Eric. Because and he likes Eric is really glad you did. Because it's he likes reading short and deep, <laughs> <laughs> and so we shall. Um, I yeah I didn't I didn't I I didn't know much about him. He, it says he was a government worker. On this is on the Tellers of Weird Tales website, which is a great blog for uh, tracking down where and how an author published. Um, there was other works by Joseph Upper as a poet. He was in. Saturday Evening Post once. He's in the Smart Set, which is a really nice magazine, fun magazine as well as Saturday Evening Post. Uh, poetry Journal, and he had some plays. Um, so he's not a nobody. He's just a nobody in terms of I- ISFDB, right? Um, and, of course, in terms of modern rep- uh, rep- reputation. I had, exactly. I, I, I am moderately well-read and never encountered this person before so i'm doubly glad you sent him my way that's uh, that's uh, i i feel like you know if there's any contribution i can make to the world it's by pointing a finger at stuff from a long time ago so, this is good why are we not talking about this <laughs> <laughs> right so um before we uh explode with delight about how great this poem is we might want to read it to our audience uh would you care to do the honors I'd love to, um, although I must say it's a poem I think needs to be read more than once. Oh, so I, I plan on this, reading it, too. <laughs> okay. Good. Dregs by Joseph Upper. There have been dreams that poisoned all our sleep with visions of the thing that might not be and filled the measureless immensity of night with gliding griefs that could not weep and dared not speak and would not die, the deep, implacable, uncomprehending sea of thought was choked with their foul progeny, a plague of scaly things that swim and creep. My soul is like that slow congealing sea where loathsome creatures breed and churn the wave into an oozing flat, a black morass. Serpents sleep there, and all the seasons pass, unnumbered 
and the crystal love I gave away lies there and hugs futility. So a very happy poem. <laughs> Clearly not. Um, uh, I when I read it first time with my students, what I like to do, I I, pr- I print up some stuff and then I let them choose based on the titles, you know. And what usually they like to choose short things like me. And this is why I get along well with students. Is we don't want to read something long. Why, why not read something easy? Well, it turns out that this one needed to be read more than once. So the first time I read it with my students. I was completely baffled. Um, I mean, I know what the words mean, but what is he? T- who is? What's going on? And then I used that trick technique I used uh, a long time ago uh, to help me understand things. I looked at the title, and I realized that the title tells you a lot about what's going on. I think. Agreed. Uh, without that title, um, without that sense of what that title means what it could mean, um, we are sort of stuck, I think. We would have been stuck. Um, By by we, you mean you and your students. Yeah, and you and I think everybody else. This is why titles are so important, especially in a poem, right? In a poem, every word makes a difference. In an essay, maybe a word can make a difference. I mean, especially if you put not in front of a word that's important, (laughs) right? (laughs) But uh, in in a poem... Every word makes a difference. And the title of a poem is, it is like the frame. It is like a finger pointing at something. Um, and so, uh, yeah, looking at the title, dregs, um, it makes you think of what dregs are. Well, not to fight. Um, I don't think I would have been lost without the title. No? But I completely, okay. I agree completely that the title makes it easier to find out what's going on here. Okay. Um so uh, when I think of dregs, I think of the wine. Appa- apparently, when you make homemade wine, I've never made homemade wine. Uh, dregs are an issue. <laughs> yep. Um, and I guess the wine that you get at the at the liquor store today doesn't have that problem like it used to, or maybe that was you know centuries ago. But uh, obviously, it was a thing in in ancient times. And the dregs are not what you want to drink. The dregs are what are left over. The seeds, the the coagulation, the stuff at the bottom that's not good. And you get that, I guess, in other kinds of drinks, too. Um, anything with little floating things in it. Um, but that uh, image of the sea, of the ocean, and the soul as an ocean, and the mind as an ocean, um, and that which falls to the bottom and, and goes to sleep, but is still there, very powerful. I think that that's what a general sense I got from after I realized, oh, the title is how I'm going to be informed about what's actually going on and how and who the narrator is. Yeah. We don't get a, we don't get a gender for the narrator, right? But we, we do, we get is a sense of how they are. Yes. Um, I must say, and you're quite right, I don't have a warrant for this, but I, uh, I read this as a male narrator in part because the poem reminded me so strongly of La Belle d'Homme Sans Merci. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
um, it, it feels like someone who had lost something, you know, it, he had a dream, but because that dream is gone, you know, um, even sleep, that is, you can't, you can't, every time you go and you have that dream, you're reminded that it's not in your own life. Mm-hmm. That's what, what that first line seems to mean. There have been dreams that poisoned all our sleep, that we all have this. And that's true whether they're male or female or, mm-hmm. or uh, what have you. So I, you're right. It's not gendered. But it, it reminds me, you know, what, hath, what, what doth ail the knighted arms alone and sadly uh, loitering um, of that fellow who had the dream. Something wonderful happened the dream. He woke up. It's not there. And he's forever blighted by its absence and what we have here is a dream that well we keep getting this dream but every time we get it now even sleep is no respite because we know that whatever it is that we dream of is gone the visions of the thing that just it can't happen you know it just might not be right and this fills measureless immensity so all of the universe is filled by this sense of regret Mm -hmm. um but I, I let me, if I may, take a look at some of the imagery here. Um, it's a very wet poem. Yes. And I think, I think one would notice that even without the word dregs, but dregs specifically are um, particulates that settle out of a liquid. Mm-hmm. And they are most famously, as you said, the, the, the waste, the, the bitter uh, residue from wine that has settled too long or has gone bad. Um, and by the way, I had a bottle of wine just last week that I uh, had had sitting in the refrigerator for a long time because I don't drink very much. And uh, But it had been opened, and sure enough, at the bottom, there were dregs. Yuck. So it's not only an ancient problem. Uh, there have been dreams that poisoned all our sleep. Now, I know you can have gas poisons mm-hmm. like sarin, and you can have metal poisons like plutonium. But Outed, yep. when I think of poison, I think of something going into Hamlet's father's ear. Oh, I hemlock, think, yeah. Exactly, liquid poison. There have been dreams that poisoned all our sleep. The night with gliding griefs. I love the language mm-hmm. there. The, That gliding sort of sounds like over a wet surface that could not weep. That's got to do with wetness, tears. The deep, implacable, uncomprehending sea, that's certainly liquid as well. But it's sea, not river. It's a place for the dissolution of the soul. A thought that choked with their, their foul progeny, a plague of scaly things that swim and creep. So we're now at the bottom of the sea and we're approaching things that are scaly. Well, scaly things aren't just fish, you know, they're also something else, which we'll come to in the second part of the sonnet. My soul is like that slow congealing sea. Again, with loathsome creatures, where loathsome creatures breed and churn the wave. More wet, more wet. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a wet that's not working right. It's, it's not free-flowing. In fact, it is churning it into an oozing flat, a black morass. And morass is the sort of that spongily wet, supersaturated ground. Mm-hmm. Serpents sleep there. Ah, another kind of scaly thing. Mm-hmm. 
and all the seasons pass unnumbered. So this is back to eternity as well as measureless immensity. And the crystal love I gave. Now I want to stop there for a minute. So all of this is so wet. It's so wet. But once we come to the word serpent, I can't help but thinking that the dream that's missing isn't just the the beautiful woman with no mercy in um, in the older poem, but in fact, this is something like Eden. Yep. And his soul has been washed away, or it's in the process of congealing into nothing at the bottom of the sea. The serpents sleep there, and all the seasons pass unnumbered, and the crystal love I gave. If you stop after that 13 lines, as I got up to that just in my very first reading of it, I was thinking anything could be this paradisal dream vision and we live in a fallen world. So, you know, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And so the crystal love I gave, because once upon a time there was purity, right? Once upon a time it was Edenic. There was no taint of sin. There was no taint. But then because of the enjambement, you go beyond that. The crystal love I gave away lies there and hugs futility. So to give and to give away are two different verbs. Right? We've switched the crystal love I gave as in here, I give you my love, uh, I give you my money, I give you my faith, and I gave away my love, meaning I let it just go into uselessness. It lies there and hugs futility. The only love that this speaker can have is a love that just reminds him that he can't have it. Yep. So it, it's, it looks up to the first 13 lines as if this wet poem leaves us nothing but the dregs of liquid, this particle that bitterly congeals out, and it could be general. But in fact, although it could be general for this speaker, it's motivated by not having realized that his crystal love should have found its proper object back in his youth. Um, it's a it's an incredibly sad poem of of regret. Mm-hmm. It's not just that the dreams happened and poisoned the sleep, right? They can't, you know it's like Poe. Something else did it to me. But by the end of the poem, the speaker recognizes that it's not something else that did it to him. He did it by giving his love away. Mm-hmm. Or it could be she. It could mm-hmm. be she. I understand that. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, what's I love about poems like this is the lack of specificity. Of, like there is no referent. There's nothing specifically being referred to. There's lots of description of how uh, what effect the loss of that thing had, but there is no object uh, that was the subject. So if you went up to the title and you say, my love was the title, um, that changes everything slightly, but uh, still doesn't give us much specificity. How about Mary, right? M-A-R-Y. That gives us a lot more detail. Um, That's the power of a great poem. So it's almost like this is, uh, you, you walk up to a guy at a bus stop and he looks really depressed and you say, hey, how are you? <laughs> and he says you this, 
right? Well, you know that that guy is not in a good way, right? And you don't know why he's in such a bad way as he is. But if you read it like in that context, so I walk up to you, Eric, and I say, hey, how are you doing? And you say to me, there have been dreams that poisoned all our sleep with (laughs) visions of the thing that might not be and filled the measureless immensity of night with the gliding griefs that could not weep and dared not speak and would not die. And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) And you say, the deep, implacable, uncomprehending sea of thought was choked with their foul progeny, a plague of scaly things that swim and creep. At this point, I'm like backing away slowly, right? (laughs) My soul is like that slow, congealing sea where loathsome creatures breed and churn the wave into that oozing flat a black morass, serpents sleep there, and all the seasons pass, unnumbered, is how I want to say it, and the crystal love I gave away lies there and hugs futility. So it still doesn't tell us what went wrong, where the error lay, right? It could be that he gave it away and was rejected, it could be that it was taken away, um, but not in a way that he accepts. Um, but it is it is tainted the universe so that even when floating atop that sea, that sea is him, and at the bottom of it he knows this horror, right? Sure, the the sleep that we see in the first stanza. There have been dreams that poisoned all our sleep. It's almost like, well, yeah, I get depressed too, buddy. What, what's your problem? And he's saying, yeah, uh, that's, that's bad. With visions of the thing that might not be. And filled the measureless immensity of night with gliding griefs that could not weep and dare not speak and would not die. So those are like ghosts to me. Those are things that haunt you while you're awake, Right? But then he says, the deep, implacable, uncomprehending sea of thought. So, of course the sea is uncomprehending. But it's the sea of thought was choked with their foul progeny. Their foul progeny. The progeny of who? A plague of scaly things that swim and creep. So, it's almost like... I think the progeny is a plague of scaly things. I think who the they are in their foul progeny is the dreams. I, I think that that's it's, – it's whatever it is, like, it, it, because we don't get that referent, right? It's whatever, whatever upset the speaker is uh, always in the mind of the speaker. And, yes. the, and their foul, foul progeny – a plague of scaly things that swim and creep are there. And then he says, uh, basically restating what's going on, but going from the general that, yeah, we all have dreams that poison our sleep. Um, he says specifically, my soul is like that slow congealing sea where loathsome creatures breed and churn the wave in that, in an oozing flat, a black morass. So this is very depressive talk here. Uh, serpents sleep there, yeah, and that's like sl- serpents can awake too, can't they? And all the seasons pass, unnumbered, 
and the crystal lava I gave away lies there and hugs futility. So it's almost like this could be um, he he asked a lady to marry him, um, she rejected him, and now he's deeply, deeply depressed. But if you bring it back to the first stanza again, um, it could be some something like a vision for a for a national unity or something, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not clear what up it's and, about. Up, up until the last, the last two lines. Certainly up until the last line, um, it uh, it is absolutely general. Um, I I, however, having read that last line, I think of giving away, um, not as a woman who has rejected his love, but he did not properly recognize the love that they had. I think. I mean, the way I read it. No, no, yeah. and it doesn't have to it, be this way. I'm you're just right. It can be either way. Just, right. That going back over the whole thing again, folding it over the, the temporal sequence, at the point at which this speaker is giving us this story, he has in his past had a, a let us say, a woman who was a compelling love for him. But he thought, no, you know, maybe there's even better fish in the sea and turned away from her and lost her. So he has dreams. All of us have dreams of things that might have been Mm -hmm. that we did not seize, that we didn't have the courage or the wit or we had too much pride or egotism to get. And those dreams bring us back to see those things that we regret missing because we gave away that love that we had for that activity, that, that person that would, and they poisoned our sleep. So that's a a way to read it. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I, for me, that works kind of, uh, in a, in a resonant fashion because I, I think of someone now in the present regretting what he did in the past because mm-hmm. his collection of the past changes his p- dreams in the present and these dreams are continual reminders that he once could have had that but he no longer can and so it's gone forever unnumbered measureless all the seasons pass that keeping your reading or my somewhat more specific meeting in mind i'd like to make a a contrast or in a comparison with Robert Frost, the road not taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me read it quickly. And, and then I hope this will make some sense. This is, a, this is a much more famous poem, but I must say, I don't think it's a better poem. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler along. I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for the passing there, had warned them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black, oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made 
all the difference. Uh, this is a poem that's been commented upon endlessly. Uh, I don't want to uh, take the time now because we're really talking about dregs, but to give this one possible reading that bears. In this poem, the speaker is really not trustworthy. He says, you know, but come to think of it, really, they were equally untrodden. Mm -hmm. you know, he says, I took the one less traveled by at the end, and that made all the difference. But he's already told us they really weren't. It's a comedy piece, in, in essence. Right? But when he tells us this and lets us know that he's untrustworthy, the thing that I find most powerful that I did not realize when I first read this in high school is he, at that moment, says... I knew that way leads on to way, and I doubted right that minute when I chose one path that I never would go back to do the other path. Right. So what we're getting here is a poem about somebody who realizes, untrustworthy though he may be as a narrator, he realizes at the moment of making a choice to give up one thing in favor of another that there's no going back. But he's going to make, you know, he's going to make interesting poetry out of it. I'll tell it with a sigh, mm -hmm. you know, ages and ages hence. He's not really bothered by this choice, but he knew all along he was never going to go back, right? One wasn't really better than the other. This is a lightweight choice, mm -hmm. and he's telling us about recognizing it, although he doesn't want to admit he recognizes it, right at the time he makes it. Joseph Upper's poem is about someone who made a choice, he gave his crystal love away, and only later did he find his dreams were poisoned, like the night in La Belle Dame Sans Merci. He didn't make a choice against his better knowledge. He thought he was making the right choice, and now, as a more mature person, he realizes the high value of what he gave up. Mm -hmm. This is not a lightweight poem. This is one about deep, deep regret. Yes. Right? For Frost, the choice made all the difference. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, it's just different. <laughs> but that's but, a joke, right? <laughs> Whereas exactly. here... But um, for Joseph Upper, the difference is an eternity of futility. And, and as you said about how those dregs taste... Right, you drink the wine, you pour the wine, you live the life, and when you get to the dregs, you don't want to be drinking that. That's bitter. Exactly, exactly. And he has captured that, and he has shown us a poem of someone who cannot escape from that, even in sleep. This is, uh, a, I think, a powerful portrait of unrelenting regret mm -hmm. yeah it's it, it's it's inescapable regret too there's al almost a cosmic level with that crystal love i think of the crystal spheres right mm -hmm. um and and in contrast to the crystal spheres we have that black morass the loathsome creatures breeding and churning right they're not they're they're plaguing they're they're not um a purity they are not the golden perfect perfection that this narrator thought he was giving his love to and and it all turns that whole thing turns on whether or not there's a comma at the end of the second to last line right it says unnumbered 
and the crystal love I gave away lies there and hugs futility. That uh, hugging futility, not a good feeling. Not a feeling of safety. And yet, he's made a beautiful poem out of it. And so there is at least that value in, in the world that if someone is brave enough to confront his own mistakes, at least he can shape that. It's futile, but that I, I'm, I'm sitting here as we speak, uh, Jesse, with my, arm, my hands under my own armpits as if I, I, I suddenly yourself. Exactly. I'm hugging myself. Yeah. Because sometimes the fact of life being terrible can only be relieved by recognizing that there is always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.